They're coming to get you, Barbara. Keep watching the sky. Long with the new flesh. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Don't fall asleep. I want to play a game. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Children of the night. What music they Hello, and welcome to a special Halloween episode of Saturday Night Spookorama. This evening, we'll be getting up close and personal with our hosts, as we each choose a horror movie near and dear to our hearts, and talk about why we think it's great. First, from 1963, I'll be talking about The Haunting. Then, from 1980, Sabrina's Choice is The Shining. After that, we'll be taking a look at Alex's Choice, the 2013 remake, Evil Dead. And finally, Justice will be talking about our most recent film, 2015's Green Room. So happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween. And happy happy Halloween Halloween to the folks out there in podcast land. They are nodding appreciatively. (laughs) You guys are so appreciative. (laughs) So I guess, uh, uh, Sabrina, was this your idea? This was somebody's idea. This was Alex's idea. idea? Okay, you two fight about it. I thought this was my idea. I, uh, oh so, no, okay. no! Your idea was so, the was the Halloween show. My idea was favorite uh, top yes. favorite ish horror movies. So this is an Alex and Sabrina co original. Ah uh, yeah. yeah, and and the first idea was our favorite horror movie, and I think we all uh, decided that that was um, too too heavy a task to really decide. And like you know, a year from now. Uh, when some jamoke is like, "Oh, that's your favorite horror movie," I, it's uh, fuck you. Uh, so it's it's some of our favorite horror movies. It's a movie that we love. Uh, that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So I don't know. Uh, should we just kick things off, guys? Kick it yeah. off. Let's go. So um, for my selection, I chose the 1963 Robert Wise directed film, The Haunting. Uh, it's based on a book called The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, and it's very easy to confuse, at least its name is, with The House on Haunted Hill, which is a somewhat related but very, very different film. That's the one with Vincent Pr- I don't. I'm not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> Basically, the, the plot of The Haunting uh, concerns the titular Hill House, uh, and a group of people go into the house to investigate paranormal phenomena. The setup sounds cliche, and in a way it kind of is. Probably it would have been familiar even to people at the time. They were no dummies and they have seen, you know, haunted house movies before. But uh, there's a lot of things that set this movie apart for me. It's a film where uh, not a lot happens. Four people sit around a house. uh, They talk about their lives. uh, They interact with one another. There are some noises. And then someone drives into a tree. So it's, you know, this is not a special effects movie, really. Uh, it's, there's no sort of gore or bloodshed whatsoever. Uh, but despite that, I count it among one of the few th- films I think has ever, like, really gotten under my skin. Like, I, I love horror movies. I watch a lot of horror movies. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's just entertainment, you know. But this is a movie that's 50 years old. Uh, it's in black and white. And the first time I watched this movie, I was creeped out. And it's all basically in the performances and in the direction. It builds tension in this incredible way. And the house itself uh, becomes a character. It's this really menacing place. Uh, You know, 
despite the fact that for the entire movie, it's basically very well lit uh, and it's very opulent, the set, um, which actually wasn't a set. It was filmed on on location, uh, but it's very brightly lit and it has the feeling of both being huge and incredibly claustrophobic. Every room is just really cramped, uh, just filled with all this junk. And uh, the director, Robert Wise, who actually is most famous for The Sound of Music, puts in a lot of really innovative sort of directorial and, uh, you know, cinematographic uh, touches, a lot of strange, disoriented cam- disorienting camera angles, stuff like that. But uh, more than anything, I think it's carried by the characters. Um, it's a very sort of character-driven story. And uh, it's an early example of a psychological horror film. It's basically about the sort of psychosis of the main character, Nell, and how her life has been ruined by guilt uh, and her fear and how that expresses itself in these paranormal goings on. And it also, um, it's well possible, well, that's actually not really true, but uh, much of the film could be explained as going on in Nell's mind. Not all of it. We see a door swell. So that that's sort of interesting, especially for the time period. And you really feel a, an attachment to these characters, or at least I do. Uh, and you, you want to see them interact. I, I especially like uh, the interactions between Nell and, uh, and Theo, uh, Theodora. The two of them are the two main female characters, and they have this really interesting relationship yes, where, uh, well, yes, uh, implied uh, sort of lesbian thing. Well, no, actually, Theodora is basically explicitly a lesbian. Yep. Um, <laughs> She's so cool. She, I'm like, I would really love to be friends with her. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, like, she is a role model for me in my life. <laughs> but anyhow, just to wrap up that thought, um, the, the way Nell and Theo interact, how they're sometimes you know, uh, sort of uh, close to each other and affectionate and they support each other. And sometimes they drift apart and basically, you know, they, they're sort of trying to hurt each other, uh, especially Theo, who's um, kind of a bitch. But um, the, just the, the, the complexity of their relationship, I find uh, really fascinating. So, so yeah, I would count The Haunting among um, one of the, the films that I consider legitimately scary and definitely the earliest film i'm aware of that i would call legitimately scary so i don't know uh any of you guys uh want to talk about the haunting yeah so i uh, watched about the first hour of it um on due to time constraints i was unable it is to a little it. long yeah, yeah it's a, it hangs around two hours um for our listeners um i but i really enjoyed the dialogue it was really refreshing after um watching all of these much older black and white movies to see something that was a little more a little more modern in that in that sense but i um am really excited to like go back and from this from the start and watch it so i think it had a lot going on that i was enjoying which was not something i was expecting <laughs> yeah i would never suggest anything good <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's what i was going in thinking so oh <laughs> i'm sorry thad you did win this one <laughs> um i would have to say that uh i i liked this film I think it was just like one or two steps away from being spooky for me. You know, it felt what I liked about it is I think that uh, Nell is a character that we don't see anymore, possibly because feminism happened. Um, <laughs> but like she, to me, this seems like a, a potential like sequel spinoff from the glass menagerie and she's Laura. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of similarities there, but like there's that sort of character archetype of, of the like 
weak woman who like kind of can't take care of herself and you know people kind of treat her like she's super fragile and therefore she kind of is super fragile yeah and she was what i really like is it was very well acted you know she's a uh, very likable kind of in spite of that possibly super like misogynistic point of view she's actually like you know you empathize with her which was cool well i think that that the fact that she is yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a legitimate interpretation. But for me, uh, the fact that she's basically like weak and mm-hmm. and like and, and and really essentially flawed uh, brings an interesting t- like she's not just like a generic like heroine goes into haunted house. You know, this is a place that is both extremely attractive and torturing to her just because of her own pathos pathology rather um, and. I don't know. It, I, it's characters like that. I like personal weakness like that. I, I this is going to sound dark, but I see my <laughs> own personal weakness in it. You know, my own fear. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. No. I mean, I think that like, especially in the genre, you get don't get very many of those characters who are flawed themselves. You know, because they're too busy fighting an external force. So what yeah. I really appreciate about this movie was you know like the monster was in them all along kind of a thing um but like done well yeah and and that's like something that really makes it stand out for me is even a lot of horror movies that i would say are really good uh have somewhat um stock characters or bland you know characters like you say they're mostly interacting with the concept of the film what whatever the the movie is about it's usually not the the people and this is a movie that you could take out the ghosts and uh, most of the movie would still be left and still be worth watching. Yeah, I, I think that um, I was kind of just uninterested in the actual horror aspect of the movie. Um, I understand why it was necessary, uh, but it, it, I, I think I would have liked to see it b- bumped up just a, a little bit, but I guess it's also not really the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like a, an excuse in a lot of ways that kind of just helps nicely wrap up the film yeah i mean uh uh robert weiss uh wanted he had read the book uh the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson and uh he wanted to make a film of it and he talked to shirley jackson and he said i think that your movie or i you know i think that your book is is not actually about a haunted house it's about you know uh someone who's mentally ill someone in an asylum and shirley jackson said no it's about a haunted house (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so they kind of split the difference in this movie, but I don't know, it, it, especially for, for its period, I think it's very unique. Oh, I, uh, Shirley Jackson, Jackson, I hadn't put her into place yet. She, uh, wrote the lottery, yeah. the short story that uh, yeah. everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's a really, really good writer. Yeah. I, I also would be very interested in seeing someone adapt this for the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I think it, you know, mm-hmm. it functions a lot like a play. It's mostly dialogue driven. Uh, and about the characters and Absolutely. the ideas rather than the actual, like, you know, there's a lot of really cool shots, but for the most part, they don't really... This could be on the stage. Absolutely. Yeah, this could be on the stage. You know, they're not, like, integral very much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it is worth mentioning that it, uh, it was remade in the, like... <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, was that in the oh, 90s? Yeah. Late 90s or early 90s? Yeah. Okay. Late, late uh, 90s. Part part of the remake fever of that era was there was a remake uh, of this film that is just fucking execrable. 
Uh, and uh, maybe the worst movie I've ever seen. Is that the one with a, like a swinging lion? Yeah, head Owen Wilson head gets home. gets decapitated by a giant swinging lion head chandelier. Oh, oh that's, right. that's yeah, that movie's yeah. terrible. <laughs> yeah, poor dumb little thirteen year old me thought the remake was the classic that everyone loved, so we watched <laughs> it. And, so I watched it, and I was just like, "Huh, this is a classic. Huh, I don't get it. I must not be very smart." <laughs> Also, the, the the other thing I remember from the remake is um, the there's sort of a central prop in the film is uh, like a piece of statuary in um, the nursery, uh, which looks sort of weird and out of place. It looks like a movie prop, uh, but in the 1990, the 90s remake, it looks so fucking absurd. Somehow they just <laughs> made it so much worse. Uh, and that and Owen Wilson getting decapitated are the things I remember about that film. So, <laughs> anyhow. Um, I would also just like to uh, heap on more praise for the character of Theo. You know, it's a very all but... I don't, is it directly explicit that she's queer? Uh, um... Um, apparently there's a, there's a scene that's missing that was much more explicit about her uh, queerness. Um, or that was removed, excuse me, it was uh, um, an I hate you on our mirror with lipstick. Um, uh, is very distinctly showing the uh, end of that relationship. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't remember anything explicit in the, in that remains in the final film. Yeah, um, um, but I mean, it is, it is all but explicit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't really... they sleep in the same bed? They do. Yeah, yes. they have a seem to sleep in the same bed together. Like they're definitely sort of in a relationship a little bit. Um, but you know, especially especially for the time period. But even now, it was really nice to see a, a queer lady character who doesn't die, who uh, is feminine. You know, she's not like some like you know bull dyke who you know doesn't like hates all men. You know, she's like a like a fully fleshed out character who is a woman who happens to be queer. And I really, really appreciate that, and it's super progressive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who would have thought that uh, the man who brought us West Side Story could uh, put a positive uh, gay role models in film? <laughs> I would like to highlight. Um, I'll try to keep it vague for both the audience and Sabrina. Um, but the uh, the final or the scene near the end of the film that takes place on the spiral staircase. Uh, is a particular favorite of mine. Uh, it really utis- utilizes the space and creates this um, uh, really punishing sense of vertigo. Uh, and it's a really, really tense scene. So that's all I'll say. Can I ask a very important question? Sure. Where did that staircase go to? Like, why <laughs> that staircase there? <laughs> like, uh, it seems impractical. I will say it's that. Just... It's just sort of there, and like goes up to the like a little landing on the ceiling. Uh, but there's nothing to reach around the landing. There's no door on the landing. Uh, it no, it's it's supposed to lead up to corner. <laughs> it's supposed to lead up to uh, the room where the the old woman died. Um, you know, <laughs> as the uh, the person studying architecture, I'll uh, I'll give it a view and see what I can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also the shot in the very beginning uh, or in the prologue. Um, where the, the caretaker uh, hangs herself, uh, and you just see her feet snap down. Mm-hmm. A classic technique, but uh, but very, very well done uh, mm. in this film, in my opinion. 
Justice, did you have any thoughts beyond the 1999 oh, no. It's been so long since I've seen it. It's just very, very good. <laughs> I just wanted to comment, yeah, the 1999 remake is garbage. The worst garbage. <laughs> Offensive, even. Mm. Very. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so well, gang, I'll watch them uh, consecutively. Sounds great. <laughs> yes. uh, is there anything else we want to say about uh, about The Haunting before we move on? Watch it. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of my favorite horror movies. So I guess it's time to move on to The Shining. Um, Sounds good to me. Awesome. So The Shining is a very common favorite horror film, and I totally understand that, but it's a, a held a, held a great place in my heart. It is, for people who somehow have not, not seen it, a story about a family uh, taking care of this ha- uh, haunted hotel over the winter, and, which ends uh, very poorly for everyone involved. <laughs> um i have loved... they have a horrible time that winter. it's just the worst vacation it's just... <laughs> basically i mean it, it doesn't sound like they were ever able to um uh, afford a vacation before and this would they'll never go on one again you know and and jack torrance doesn't even get a writing done so well, he does. Well, he, gets he gets a, a lot, lot of, of writing, writing done. done. He, he gets a lot of typing done. By yes. volume, gets a lot of writing done. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this this movie, very near and dear to my heart. I, um, you know, in my mid-teens, um, read the book, watched the movie in quick succession so many times that I, I don't think I could put a number on it because it would be embarrassing any way I put this. <laughs> um but more, much more recently, I've uh, I watched The Shining with uh, the commentary, which is one of my favorite things to do with any movie that I even remotely enjoy. Um, and it was with the uh, person who led the study cam, and one more person who I am um, forgetting right now, which is too bad. Um, and this movie really great, um, obviously, but like it was one of the first movies to really use the study cam for. Uh, it was used in nearly every shot. Um, so the the guy who uh, the guy in this commentary was actually was really informative. He you know talks about each of these shots being done hun- like a hundred times. And um, uh, most one of the one of the most you know, redone scenes was with she- Shelley Duvall with the uh, with the baseball bat, and he's um, and uh, trying to. Uh, get Jack away off the stairs um, and she's just terrified and you know this is like her 40th scene and um, and fucking Stanley Kubrick's like you know just go over the top you know just to do too much and we will we'll cut it because it, it that's going to be too much and we'll but it'll get you in the in the mindset and of course you use the cut that's over the top because <laughs> it's the one that works the best <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I, I believe that uh, at the time, certainly, but I think still to this day, that scene has the world record for the mo- most, mo- most number of takes in a single, for a single, like, sequence. Yeah, I don't remember how many it is, but it's well over... It's over 100. S- it's over 100? I was going to say it's I was like pretty sure it was over 60. like 114 or something like that, I believe. But, yeah, no, and it was an incredible amount, and they, that was... Uh, you know, at least twenty shots was not unusual for any part of this film, <laughs> what I rem- what I understand. Yeah, I think it's important to um, just you know uh, remind the viewer that uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick was insane. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, that's all. <laughs> I mean, insane, but beautiful. So. Oh yeah, no, a uh, great filmmaker. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> definitely a tyrannical madman. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. The, now the listening to uh, the uh, retellings of the actions of Kubrick reminds me of the uh, famous story of uh, of Hitchcock and the Birds, <laughs> where mm-hmm. you know, uh... I, which I haven't seen, so it's really f- amusing to hear the story and uh, tell it again. Um, where Hitchcock, uh, there's a scene where the lady is being impaled with birds, and <laughs> and you know she she did this scene so many times that she and she was like literally injured by these birds that were being thrown at her um and just awful in that sense but also pro- from 1963 same year as the hunting hmm. so uh hmm. you know maybe uh kubrick learned a thing or two from there <laughs> yes the uh, alfred hitchcock school of um <laughs> psychosexually torturing tippy hedron <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyhow um but yeah i said no i think that's a i mean obviously there's there's so much so much to say about this movie that it's tough to go down to one go down to one thing i think the you know the scenery is incredible the repetition is insane the the acting is great the story is a lot of fun and it is it's interesting to compare to the book um you know what what makes a person insane is it the um is it the hotel or is it or is it um, something that exists within you the whole time. Who's to say? I think the movie leads one leans one way, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. So, I, I was going to ask you, um, as a big fan of both the the film and the book, sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think one is superior? That's really tough to say. I think they tell different stories. Um, I think as a if I were to say telling the same story, I think the book does a better does a better job. Only in so much as you you have more space to get into someone's head. I really like how I am a I am a Stephen King fan. We're gonna put that out there. <laughs> Whoops. Um, I really like how he um, how he gets into a person's head. I love the the style heavily stylized writing um, there. So that is a very distinct winner in, in my book however I, I the movie is incredible so um i think for a person who is looking to get this get the story and get and get an, an all-encompassing feeling in a in a day they're gonna the the movie pans down well yeah i mean it's interesting i i know that stephen king was not a big fan of the movie in fact, I believe he, uh, maybe in like the 90s, he finagled like a made-for-TV version to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've never seen that. I own a copy of it, but yeah. I was but there I've never when you bought it. it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's true. Um, I was like, oh, look, it's the bad Shining. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I've heard sort of mixed things about it. I, I, I don't really know what it's like, but I know that Stephen King didn't care for it. Uh, I, I think that if I'm not mistaken, and this is just from my memory, but he thought that, um, you know, he, he had written uh, The Shining, mm-hmm. influenced by uh, his own struggles with alcoholism, and he thought that that was something that Kubrick uh, didn't pay attention to uh, sufficiently. I think that was one of his complaints, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Stephen King's alcoholism right. turned him into an insane killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it was, it, it was more like a memoir, really. 
Um, <laughs> he got attacked by topiary and. Uh, <laughs> I think more recently he's uh, come, come to say that you know the shining is is an interpretation. You know, it d- did some really like PR sort of stuff to it, um, <laughs> and like recognizes that it is an important movie for the horror uh, field. Yeah. So it, it's interesting um, to me that. He would dislike The Shining in particular because um, many film adaptations of his books are dog shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically all of them. <laughs> uh, like, uh, I don't know. I can't, except for like his non-horror uh, <laughs> books that he wrote under pseudonyms. Like, I can't really think of another like really great Shawshank Redemption. I, yeah, well, that was, again, not a horror film. Green Mile. Misery is pretty good. I like Misery. Uh, oh, Misery. Misery is the Misery, other. Misery I guess, uh, is, is I the hate other. the Misery movie. What? I think it is. Okay, so I read the novel, and it was amazing. And then I feel like the the movie removes, like, all of the subtlety of the novel and all of the likability of any of the characters. And it's mm. it's just sort of, it's like the surface of it, rather than, like, the entire, like, psyche of everything and everyone, like... The uh the main character played by Kathy Bates is like scary, but like in the novel you you kind of like her and then like kind mm-hmm. of don't because she's crazy. Uh, the whole thing about the creative process is completely cut, which I think yeah. was also super fascinating about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just becomes like a hostage story instead of like you know this weird thing about battling addiction and like how to write and you know how to deal with people who are crazy but also maybe not but also definitely are <laughs> i totally get that i think i'm the only person who doesn't like the movie carrie yeah possibly uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm not a huge fan okay. i gotta admit um yeah no i hate i i'm not afraid to say this on air i legitimately hate the original carrie um movie it's just not not something i've i have enjoyed ever which is unfortunate for me i think but that's yeah. fine. That that's the Brian De Palma one, right? That's yeah. sounds right. Yeah. yeah, with Sissy Spacek. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about beloved Stephen King adaptations that we all hate. It fucking sucks. Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it fucking it's sucks. Real bad. Uh, what what's his name? Um, Tim the, Curry. Tim Curry is a lot of fun in it. He's but he's not scary. He's fun. He's like, oh, he's yeah. Look at this guy. He's clowning around. I love uh, him. What about uh, what about uh, Children of the Corn? That's one people love. Never seen it. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's like it does not. I don't think it stands up to time. But I think it's a, I think it's a movie that's worth watching. Maybe. I feel like Children of the Corn is uh, more interesting for like the cultural memes that still exist from it. Mm. <laughs> that's true. But guys, The Secret Window, really fun movie. Oh my god, what a terrible fun now? movie. Is that um... Oh, it's it's the Johnny Depp. Yeah, it's the one with Johnny Depp. Vehicle yeah. from like 2003. I I have a really f- uh, amusing story about that. So, you know, it came out in 2004. Um I remember I was like 10. So, I saw trailers for this movie. And just this, I had like a scene from the trailer stuck in my head that I could never place because I was never, I just, I, my Google skills had never formulated into anything um, I, uh, until recently. And I, you know, was 
very sick one day and finally figured out what movie it was and watched it and was so excited to have the closure. And that was, you know, like two years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, um, are you at peace? I am at peace. You know, it's, it's really nice to have uh, something that, you know, 10 years in the making (laughs) 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 becomes Uh... something else. So while we're on the topic of uh, Stephen King and Jason movies that I hate, I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely hate the documentary Room Two Thirty Seven. Uh, yeah, I have not seen that. Um, what is that? It's it's the oh, go on, Alex. Oh yeah, I'll explain it. It is a uh, documentary uh, from twenty twelve that is about uh, different people's interpretations of The Shining. Kind of. Yeah, it <laughs> is one part uh, legitimate you know analysis of the film and one part like crackpot theories about like conspiracies and like blah 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 yeah it's part of it's about how kubrick filmed the moon landing right yeah what? yeah that's yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, one of the theories that's like it. one of the theories one there's one where someone harps on uh in the rec room there was a poster of a skier that that person is like oh that's supposed to look like a minotaur and <laughs> therefore here's my interpretation of this entire film based on this one minor detail um yeah and i fucking hate that movie because it takes like very legitimate like a very fascinating film theory and critique and like very good like points about how the physical space of the entire hotel doesn't make sense there are like windows where there should be walls Mm -hmm. that you know connect Mm -hmm. to other rooms make you feel really confused like confused as a passive viewer yeah yeah, and those things are like super interesting and right and very intelligent, and it puts them next to some fucking like straight white guy who has nothing better to do with his life. So he tries to figure out how Kubrick is telling us that he fucking faked the moon landing. Yeah, I I um totally agree, totally agree for one, but also read something kind of interesting um that I will horribly misquote and uh probably <laughs> not convey the message of so there's probably not a whole reason to uh to state it right now but here we go um i i read at one point that you know, the the movie was less that that documentary was supposed to be less about you know the shining itself and more about like c- conspiracy theories as a as an idea so less about the you know these really shitty comparisons and um, really awful uh, interpretations of Kubrick and the moon landing landing um, and other things and more about how these things exist in the world. But obviously it was, it was not clear that way. So I think that's some, something someone come up, came up with after the fact. Yep. I actually really like that movie. I got to admit room 237, but Ooh. that's a tangent. We'll come to that movie eventually. Maybe. No, probably yeah, not. Sure. I don't know. Well, we don't get many horror documentaries, so we can watch that, and then we can watch the that six-hour-long documentary about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Ooh. <laughs> Let's do that. Is there anything else we want to talk about with The Shining? We haven't talked about it that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's other things. Um, I will always uh, remember, I believe in college, that we were once having a conversation about this movie and the book. So uh, we're talking about uh, the book, and I believe Thad said he did not like it because uh, he, for the reason he tends not to like most Stephen King novels, which is the entire time you're like, is it ghosts? Is it not ghosts? And the answer is always, it's ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> that is my opinion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that he does that a lot. Uh, 
I, I totally agree. I, I just kind of try to, uh, for most Stephen King novels, I try to take the, uh, the plot as a, okay, it's, it's ghosts. That's fine. Um, <laughs> and, and try to read into more into the, the character development that he tries really hard to make happen. Um, I, for, I can totally see where someone wouldn't like his, you know, new paragraph italicized thought and then more things happen. Italicized thought. Um, <laughs> I think it, I think for me, it helps me get into, uh, get into characters um, in a way that I don't in other, in other novels. Um, but while also um, not being too obtrusive in a, um, for everyday reading. I mean, also this is, it has a, there's a great audiobook out there that I've listened to a couple times, uh, but it's definitely a 20 hour or so, uh, adventure. <laughs> um, if it makes you feel better, I have the audiobook for it and I haven't started yet. Cause I think it's like 80 hours long or some shit. Oh man. Can I have that Jesus. bro? <laughs> I mean, I got it from audible. If you guys go to audible.com and put in the code spookarama, you will get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, since we've all seen The Shining, what is your favorite? What is your favorite shot? Um, I'll start because I had one in mind. Um, I really <laughs> love watching our young Mr. Torrance. I love watching him uh, ride on his little tricycle down the hallways. Just oh yeah, <laughs> um, the, the the sound on top of like the overhead and the the like right behind him. Um, I guess it's a scene more so, so I do make an addendum to my question. I, do, I think that's really powerful. Uh, well, here's my choice. It's maybe esoteric, uh, but um, it was something I was going to say anyway, so I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, the opening shot uh, or the opening scene, mm. the, uh, the montage of nature, you know, them driving through the mountains. Mm -hmm. um, part of that was shot uh, in Glacier National Park uh, on the Going to the Sun Road, which is... Uh, I'm of the opinion that Glacier is, like, the most beautiful place on Earth. Um, and, uh, yeah, that does not disappoint. Gets you in that, uh, I don't know, the, mm -hmm. the, the remoteness of it. And it's just fucking beautiful. I got For my favorite shot of the movie, I got to go with the one that has been seared into my brain ever since I saw this movie at age 10 or something. Too young. My parents made me watch mm -hmm. it. I love <laughs> the movie, but I'm still fucking scarred by that. Um... What you call it? I the shot the the zoom in on the dude in the weird dog bear costume oh, yeah. thing, <laughs> and the creepy older guy, because the I mean the thing about the movie up to that point is everything kind of sort of follows that like dream logic, but it's 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 an internal logic, you know? It's mm -hmm. it's like there's a hotel, so there's like a creepy bartender guy who's running the hotel. There's there was a murder, so there's these little girls who were murdered, and they're ghosts, and they're evil, yada yada, and it's still creepy, and I love it, and it's great. But that shot comes out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Justice, have you read the book? I have not. I I was gonna mention this, oh. but I have intentionally not read the book because I love really? the movie too much, and I don't want to mess with that. I I should I should read the book, but I mm -hmm. I just haven't. Dude, I'll send you my copy. <laughs> Totes. Actually, yeah, for free? Sure. <laughs> no, I'll read I, anything I think, for free. I do think it is worth a read if you can um, separate the the book and the movie. If you've if you've been able to do it in the past, you should. It's totally easy to do. Uh, okay. But I'll ship it your way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Totally. 
Yeah, I gotta get my copy back from some <laughs> some dude who hasn't read it yet, uh, who never read it over the course of two years. So, <laughs> <laughs> what a shithead. Yeah, I'm clearly not that attached to my copy of this book, but you know. <laughs> um, I am going to say uh, I have a tie for my mm-hmm. uh, two favorite shot slash sequences. Um, the first one is the possibly the most iconic uh, single shot from that film, uh, which is the blood elevator. Um, mm, there's something okay. that is terrifying about it, but also very beautiful. And that's what I really like about it. Um, you know, it's slow and scary, but also because it's played so slow and you get to kind of watch all the, wa- uh, all the blood move through the space in a nice kind of slow, it feels like a ballet almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it. And it shows up like two or three times in the movie. Yeah. Um, fun, fun fact that, uh, that scene took at least a day to set up every time. And they, um, God, they they did it. They reshot it something upwards of ten times. Yeah, uh, I it's, think it was around like thirteen. Yeah, it's something crazy like that. So, incredible shot. There's a conspiracy theory about it. Uh, slash, you know, weird people thing that didn't make it into the Room Two Thirty Seven documentary that uh they posted on YouTube as one they almost did, <laughs> which is they think that there is a body in the blood that you can kind of see if you look oh. close enough and uh, that that's what Kubrick was trying to get so that you could sort of see it. Uh, so you could like feel that it's there and you're like psyche, but not actually like consciously know. Hmm. Um, I think that's super cool. And then my other favorite is uh, just the staircase baseball bat, because I think uh, Shelley Duvall being ter- terrified and tired and scared and screaming and crying is just super effective in a horror movie um and she just does such a good job uh because she's exhausted as fuck mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's like uh texas chainsaw massacre uh um, yeah the, which is the, the my other scene. movie i almost picked for this uh yeah yeah that's a that's a good it's a good well anything else you want to say about the shining guys quick note uh always remember that uh jack nicholson's performance in the shining was nominated for uh razzie for worst performance in a movie so the razzies <laughs> are bullshit don't trust the critics. Yeah, they've always been bullshit. Yeah. They, uh, I would like to argue that they have been on point many times. No, I think, uh, uh, well, my criticism is that rather than, like, actually picking something bad, they, like, tend to pick things that are high profile, you know, which, you know, is normal. You know? Sometimes those intersect. Sometimes it intersects, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's interesting because, um, at least with my understanding, this is so different than what anything Nicholson had done. Um, up to that point so it seemed so out of quote-unquote character for him um that it could have read as bad having seen uh jack nicholson in roger corman's the terror uh i can tell you he can do a lot worse (laughs) okay i will open a new tab for that (laughs) that's in the public domain you can watch it right now though i don't suggest it because it it's literally a movie that Roger Corman made because he had Boris Karloff on contract for two more days. Oh, no. He had finished his movie and said, I've got Karloff for two more days. Uh, We're making another one. Uh, No script. And they just shot some footage. And then this is a movie now. I'm excited to watch it. All right. I will watch it in, you know, the next hour and a half after our movie. 
<laughs> yeah, please don't start watching it while we're recording. <laughs> also, that's that's another because that movie's in the public domain. It's another one that goes on like 101 scary movies uh, <laughs> oh, DVDs no. that you buy at the grocery store for five dollars. And it's like Boris Karloff, but it's cut for the terror, you know, Oof. It's for the terror. Oof. Anyhow, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, what's our next movie? Well, I think next we're going to be talking about Evil Dead. So, Alex, you want to take this one? Yeah, I, I would love to. Uh, so. I picked the uh, 2013 remake of The Evil Dead. Uh, I picked it over the original because um, I actually think it's a superior film. Um, at the very least, I believe this should be like the gold standard for how any remake film is ever done. Uh, it draws upon the original in both its story and also a lot of the references that it makes, but it also plays against your expectations if you know what's going on uh, based on the other thing. Uh, so there's a lot of shots that are like cute little in jokes, but also are used to mislead you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're set up for most of the movie to have, uh, the guy who plays the the brother, uh, Dave, David, he's kind of set up to be the protagonist for most of the film. And, you know, the film, knowing the original one, get that sense. And then it kind of does the, the heel change switch at the end and lets Mia sort of be the final girl which is great. Um, I also really appreciate this film because it has shifting, it has a shifting metaphor, which is really hard to find in a lot of horror movies. You know, you'll get a lot of horror movies that are like, you know, the Babadook, which is like, uh, obvious metaphor. About something. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like you get something like a 28 days later, which is a metaphor for a thing. Um, but this film is about lots of things and it can stand in for a lot of things. It's sort of about, relationships between uh you know family members it's about addiction it's about so many different things and it's a really it's just fucking great um my favorite my single favorite thing about this movie i think is uh for spoilers people haven't seen it you know you've had a number of years there's a part early in the film where someone's like oh it says here that you know, you read these words out and it'll rain blood and kill everyone. And you're all like, yeah. And then later in the movie, it happens. And you're like, I thought that was a metaphor, but it's literally raining blood. <laughs> um, Hate it when that happens. <laughs> it just ruins my outfit for the day. Um, but yeah, it really, I think it also really balances humor and gore and just like pure thrills and like, there's like the fun the fun kill uh that happens a lot and then there's like the gross kills and i think it's also just a legitimately terrifying yeah man uh how many of you guys have seen this i have i think i'm in the unique position where i watched the remake before the original so i totally agree with you um and i definitely thought it stood up really well on as its as its own i would not have known that there was um it was something it was ba- it was that it was based off of something and watching the original i was like oh man they did that what a cool reference um and was i as a more modern viewer able to i think appreciate the the um older um the original older version a little more Um, I saw this movie a while ago, and I hate to be the party pooper, but it's pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. But no, I agree with you, Alex. It has a lot of good stuff going on there. I I love the addiction, demon, possession metaphor thing it's got going on there. But I feel like it kind of gets lost in the weeds towards the middle of the movie, where it has its metaphor, but it's like, yeah, but 
who cares about the metaphor right now? Let's see some crazy gore for 30 minutes. And it's good gore, but it, it gets, I feel like it gets sidetracked. Yeah, I, I would be interested. I, I have not watched this movie. Um, uh, part of uh, myself grossly being, un- uh, being grossly unprepared for this. Uh, so I, I guess my question would be, um, obviously the Evil Dead series is on, uh, you know, uh, sort of a sliding scale of goofiness. Uh, you know, you've got the original, which is like kind of goofy, but only because like it, it was an incredibly cheap movie. They were trying to make a real horror movie. And then the second one obviously has a lot more intentional comedy to it. Um, and then Army of Darkness is basically a comedy adventure movie. Um, so like where, where does, I'm assuming that there's some humor, you know, it, it sounds like there is, uh, how does it relate? Um, so it doesn't have uh, a lot of humor at all. What it does, uh, best I think is the, brings up the fun kills. Um, especially yeah. at the end, there's like the, the final kill has that sort of like tongue in cheek, like I'm taking over and now I'm going to fucking stop dealing with your shit moment mm-hmm. and then it's like the the everyone's supposed to cheer for this kill um yeah. but for the most part it's a pretty just like straightforward horror movie yeah yeah i totally agree it's um def- it's not so not so not anywhere near as humorous as the the original which seemed to be uh for me almost a um humorous take on the horror um genre um especially with our with our demon setup um, which is, of course, not to say it was bad, but it wasn't my my taste exactly. Um, I think you got a lot more a lot more background on our on our on our characters that you that you follow throughout the whole movie, um, and on um, a more followable story, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely a lot uh, better plotted than the original. And you can tell where the characters are, who these characters are, and how they all know each other, which is something you didn't get it all in the original um i think one thing of note is that uh while still being evil dead movie uh this was not directed by sam raimi it was uh, directed by uh frederico alvarez who mm-hmm. uh, this was his directorial uh debut and he fucking kills it uh he just released um oh that one that i watched yeah, yeah don't breathe which so i'm really good. excited about because it's apparently amazing I thought it was really great. I um, the biggest downside is that everything that can happen will happen, and of course that's that's exciting in a horror movie. But also, for me, might have been just one too many times. <laughs> you feel like someone's checking boxes on a sheet somewhere. Um, not so much. Or it's more like, goddamn, why can't our hero heroes? Why can't our heroes have a break anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that pisses me off about so many different stories, not even horror in specifically, mm-hmm. that it's just like one thing after another. It's like, no, give me 30 seconds to breathe. Yeah. Let like a, even a small victory actually count for us, even for a second. Yeah. But Barnes, it's called Don't Breathe. yeah that that being said i thought it was i thought it was great um the theater i saw it in had an opening with our director um really just passionate about the about the film itself and really excited for everyone to be seeing it which i think is really really nice to see um and he speaks with the same amount of passion as uh, del toro does in anything so i mean you have to trust him at least a little 
one thing that I really appreciate about uh, the director is he shares Sam Raimi's point of view that any effect that you can make practical, you should. Yes. So you get a lot of really, really terrifying, fucked up looking uh, gore moments. Um, my favorite, which being, I think it's in the trailer, where uh, when Mia's possessed, she has a uh, straight razor that she licks and it splits her tongue in half. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It is um, so well shot. Every time I watch it, I know it's coming and I kind of like half watch it through like my eyes because it's really really gross mm-hmm. um and it's a practical effect so y- y- you can kind of feel its realness a little bit more um and because there are so few moments of actual you know uh, cgi there's they stand out as being cgi especially in the scene where uh, the infamous you know woods rape scene you know that some of the vines are cgi you can kind of tell that Wait, did they put that in the remake? Yeah, yeah. it was incredible. Like, mm, it is it is hard to watch. Yeah, um, yeah, I was yeah. I was legitimately uncomfortable. It was it was. I mostly very I actually mostly remember that scene as like like almost campy bad from the original. Yeah, worse. it is it, even worse. It is even worse it, than you think it is. It is. <laughs> it's legitimately like uncomfortable and terrifying. Hey, Alex. Wow. Um, I'm Alex. You are Alex. I want you to talk about the dialogue if you have any recollection. Um, I mean, I, I do. I don't really have any many opinions about it. Okay. Um, um as the okay, so. that's fine. As the closest to like that age group, I think um, I I thought it was really real, um, and makes the characters really, really it's something you can um you can identify with and like they 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 seem all really stupid in the right ways yeah absolutely which i think is fantastic for the people who've seen uh both this and the original i'd be interested in hearing you guys kind of talk a little bit more about how the remake really plays off the original um because i think it's really genius the way that kind of uses your expectations to kind of fuck you up in terms of what you're expecting in particular, there is uh, the scene where the brother gives uh, his sister Mia the little uh, necklace and is sort of like, this will keep you safe. And it's exactly like in the original, I think it's actually in the second one, uh, where uh, Bruce Campbell gives his girlfriend a necklace. But then it kind of takes that relationship and spins it later in the film. What do you guys think about this scenario? I... You know, I think the relationship between Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead 19, whatever, is 89. sort of like 80. Was it? I don't know. Whatever. No, it's earlier than that. It's like 81. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. And what you and what you were saying earlier was right. I don't know that it is the right way to do a remake like this because it's just like it's so different from the original, just in terms of like the characters, like. I know as a as a big fan of the at least the first two Evil Dead movies. Um Whoa, you got something against Army of Darkness? No, I'm just not a, a huge fan of it. I'm gonna admit that. Um I sort of went in to to the remake going, Okay, who's the Ash? Who's the Ash here? <laughs> and they didn't do that. Like should I have spoilers? Yeah, spoil Spo- away, fuck it. Spoil alert. A main character does lose an arm, and 
that doesn't quite make her the Ash because she's demon possessed for a lot of the movie. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I mean, oh man, I, I was so scared that she was still possessed even after she was brought back. Yeah, I think that to specifically talk about that sort of twist, I think that's one of the most genius parts of the script is it sets up the brother to be the Ash of, of the movie. And then, you know, 25 minutes before the end of the film, he dies. And you are just sort of as a viewer left being like, wait, 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 hold on. You know, this is the guy we've been spending our time with, the main character, and he's just fucking dead now. Like, definitely dead. Like, the house explodes uh, or some shit. And, like, he is dead. And I think that's a really great kind of turning point. And it turns, uh, for the rest of the film, it kind of pushes it from being just like a... It pushes it into being an Evil Dead movie in the most fascinating way because it pushes it from just like the like extreme horror to ridiculousness. You know, it literally starts to rain blood. Um, <laughs> this movie oh, has the world so record good. for most uh, fake blood used in a single movie. I believe it was uh, thirteen thousand gallons of fake blood. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. That's because it, it ra- the last twenty five minute sequence of the movie is raining blood. <laughs> to go back to practical effects for a second, you know, uh, it really does make a difference because audience members can always tell the difference between a fake fire hose shooting uh, blood, you know, a CGI fire hose shooting blood and a real one. So, um, <laughs> you know, any audience member can pick that out. So, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in it as a as a horror movie remake, uh, because I think, as we all know, they're they're hard to do. I. A lot of times you'll hear about a remake and people will say, yeah, it's really good, but, you know, it's not as good as the original. Or it's really good, but I just wish they'd called it something else. Or, you know, it's really – or whatever. Or, you know, this fucking sucks. Why did they make it? Uh, most common. <laughs> yeah, most common. Um, and, and, like, the two sort of canonical, uh, like, beloved horror movie remakes, uh, of course, are The Thing and The Fly. But, uh, you know, both those movies are were based on, um, like, it's hard for me to put myself in, in the sort of 80s viewer mindset. But, uh, you know, they were basically based on B-movies that weren't uh, super well, you know, they, they weren't cultural touchstones uh, necessarily. They were, like, sort of cult movies. Uh, and both the originals from the 50s are, are, are actually quite good. Uh, and, and the 80s remakes are quite good. Though I know that you, Alex, don't particularly like John Carpenter. I, I just don't like the thing. I, I like John Carpenter films otherwise. Oh, okay. You know, the sort of the modern remakes of the movies that are cultural touchstones, like whatever, remaking Friday the 13th, remaking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it just doesn't fucking work uh, for whatever reason. So I, I guess I am interested in it as Evil Dead, at least today, among certain people, is a very famous film. So I'm inter- you know, I, I guess I'm sort of pleased to hear the positive reaction that it's gotten and that something like that's still possible. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at remakes as a, as a whole. Um, I think the I've been um, watching, unsurprisingly, a lot more horror movies lately. And it's interesting to take the, the mindsets through the decades. Um, I have a really hard time watching a lot of 80s and 90s uh horror movies that use the use the use humor as its um main objective in a horror fashion um but it's really exciting to see how those if they are remade how they are remade and how that translates to another generation anything else we want to say about 2013's evil dead 
watch it, dude. It is it is a fucking ride. All right, we are up for last but not least our 2015 uh, movie, The Green Room. Right, Justice. Okay, so Green Room. Let's start with the synopsis. Green Room is about a uh, punk band called The Ain't Rights who are touring through the Pacific Northwest. They run out of money, so they decide to play a show at a skinhead bar in the middle of nowhere. After their set, they see a dead body in the titular green room and uh, are held captive by the Nazis uh, and are stuck in this room, just sort of waiting to be murdered. And the movie is about their various uh, attempts to escape the green room, to escape the, the backwoods club they are trapped in, and to somehow survive the night. Uh, I saw this movie earlier this year, and I have been obsessed with it for the last six months. Going to see it in the theater... I love I love going to see horror movies in the theater for exactly the experience I had with Green Room. Just being in a room with, I don't know, 60-odd people, and you can feel the palpable tension. And that's honestly my favorite thing about the movie. Just the... Once the first act of the movie ends, the palpable tension does not stop. There's, you know, obviously ebbs and flows. There's high intensity situations and it gives you time to calm down. But that tension sits with you. The tension itself comes from the the characters, the punk band, who are the most innocent punk band you've ever seen in your life. They're just, <laughs> <laughs> they're just floating through life. They, they got no money. They got... They got no cares in the world. They're just playing their shitty gigs and doing life. And then they start fucking dropping like flies in the most brutal ways. And the film, the the opening, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour or so before everything goes to shit. You spend all this time with the characters just learning who they are, what makes them different. Like they're all in a punk band. They all have that punk aesthetic, that punk ethos. But you get their, their moments of being an individual and then they're just gone. They're dead. And... That's another thing I love about this movie so much, just how it handles death. Like in horror movies, you when you get the kill, the movie stops for a second. It gives you the kill, the whoever stabs whoever else, and it moves on. Green Room gives you all this time with these characters, these characters, and then it's just over. Out of nowhere, they're dead. And it it's it's refreshing, you know? It's it's <laughs> not not I'm not dissing any specific horror movies but just the the sheer brutality and the senselessness of the deaths in this movie because i don't want to spoil anything but like spoil it uh minor spoilers there's some brutal brutal attack dog deaths in this movie where <sighs> it is literally just shot of a dog shot of screaming face dog on throat person's gone it happens three seconds flat they're gone and it is so intense and so visceral I could barely handle it in the theaters. It was, I don't know, man. It's just a really fucking good movie. <laughs> I love it so, so much. Who, who else here has seen it? I watched it. What'd you think? Um, did anybody else watch it before I start talking about this movie? Uh, I, I have not seen it yet, though it's on my list. Yeah, I started it, realized I wanted to uh, take my time and actually watch it, and then stopped watching it. Yeah. Fair. I have watched... Um, the previous movie by this director, uh, Blue Ruin, but I have not seen Green Ruin. I haven't actually seen Blue Ruin. It's on my Blue list. Blue Ruin is great. Yeah, it looks Ruin fucking great. great. Um, I would definitely suggest this movie as a sit down and watch it. It's, um, it's you know, it's a captivating movie. You know, I don't think there's ever a point when you feel bored. But I'm going to say I don't think it's that good of a movie. 
Ah. I think it is. I think it is uh made skillfully made by people who know what they're doing, uh, and you can see that. But uh, I I disagree. I don't think the characters are very well developed at all. What? Um, yeah. No. I don't. I I don't know. I couldn't tell you a single thing about any of those characters right now. Um, I don't even know their names to be honest. Well, I don't either. Who knows movie characters' names? I mean, that's Not fair. Me. <laughs> But, like, if you said, like, a character's name, I couldn't tell you what character that was. You know, usually if, if we're talking about a movie and someone's like, oh, and then, like, Sam did this thing. You're like, oh, yeah, I think that's this guy. I have no fucking idea. Couldn't tell you anything. Um, I couldn't tell you anything about the characters. I could sort of tell you what they look like because they're visually in the film. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> Damn, uh, I don't know anything about them. I didn't really care about any of them. Uh I think this film leans on that crutch that uh, a lot of first-person shooter games do, which is if you're fighting against Nazis, everything's fine, and you're going to like the people who aren't Nazis. I think Patrick Stewart uh, does a good job with a role that is uninteresting. What? Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention. Patrick Stewart's in this movie. He's a yeah. skinhead. <laughs> yeah, he plays <laughs> like the, the skinhead leader. and that, That's how good this movie is. I forgot about Patrick Stewart as a skinhead. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, I I think that the the violence is well done, and I think that's super great. But uh, I think the dialogue is not very interesting. the The characters are flat at best. Um. You know, there's there's a lot of it, it's very the the tension is done well, but I don't think that the stakes are ever really raised beyond anywhere. They keep losing dudes. I mean, I guess, but like, if you don't care about them, then it doesn't matter. Is like where I'm coming from. You know, the whole conceit of the film is that, you know, they, they see this dead body in this green room and then they try to figure out how to, you know, not be trapped anymore. But, you know, you know from the second that even though Patrick Stewart's talking nice to them at the beginning, that he's going to fucking murder every single one of them. And then as you kind of see them slowly try to get that to happen, I'm never like, oh, no, like this is, oh, he wasn't going to kill them before, but now he is. That's always been on the line. And I think it kind of holds on to that a little too tight. There's a lot of things that are, I think, are underutilized. There's the whole heroin plot line that doesn't really ever affect anything, but is there for some reason. I think it takes an interesting group of people, which is like this neo-Nazi group that clearly like the writers know a lot about how a neo-Nazi group functions and it's fascinating. And you get to hear that sort of dialogue that is uh, by people who are, you know, ex- do in something. So they're not explaining it to you, but they're dropping all these terms and you have to try to figure out what they're talking about. I like that. It does that well, but um, you know, overall it's just sort of, you know, some people killing some other people. I also want to go and say, I don't think this is a horror movie. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. I meant to address that. I disagree. I yeah, you could, Put it in, like, the thriller genre, but, like, I'm scared of Nazis. I'm very scared <laughs> of Nazis. They're bad dudes. What else did I want to address? Ah, oh, you said so many things I wanted to address. I would just say that I, I think it's definitely a, a thriller with lots of gore. You know, I think it's it's missing whatever pushes it over the line into being a horror. I know that that's sort of a loose term that we use, but... I, even on the Wikipedia page, it doesn't say that's a horror movie. It describes it. Oh, I guess it does. Uh, it didn't last time I checked. I just changed um, it. <laughs> oh, that was you. Was that really you? <laughs> no, no, I'm, oh. I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but like a, a lot of places have been described it as like a thriller. And I think that's what it is. I think don't think it. Um, I don't think it has any of the like real tenets of a horror movie besides for gore. Define them. I. That's a big question, man. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, I disagree that there's a, a meaningful difference between, um, like, I don't know. Uh, I like drawing a broad brush. I guess I would say yeah. that uh, I, I don't feel uh, horror or terror or scared. I feel suspenseful. Yeah, Alex, is, do you, would you say would you say that's because you didn't feel any connection with the characters, or would you say that's? I would I would say that helped, but I I mean, there's lots of horror movies that you don't fucking care for the characters in because that's not yeah, the point absolutely. of the horror movies. Um, yeah, does anyone here give a fuck about whoever played Jonathan Harker in Dracula? <laughs> no one. No, maybe maybe I do. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about this movie: I haven't seen it, um, but uh, <laughs> there are some salient points I would like to to bring up. Uh, one, I'm going to agree with Barnes and say that uh, the previous film of this director, whose name I can't recall right now, uh, Blue Ruin, is excellent. Jeremy Saulnier? Jeremy Saulnier. I highly, highly recommend that movie. Blue Ruin is incredible. Uh, um, but that definitely is not a horror movie. But uh, just in terms of sort of background stuff, um, many people don't know this, but the Pacific Northwest actually is uh, a huge hotbed for like white power groups. There was literally uh, a movement to make the Pacific Northwest like the the uh, neo Nazi enclave. Neo Nazi oh, enclave for real. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yes. Uh, the to transport um, like white nationalist white power people to the Pacific Northwest, uh, Washington, Oregon, uh, Idaho, and uh, Western Montana specifically. It's scary. Yeah, no. Today there, it is actually uh, like especially sort of um, more remote uh, Pacific Northwest. Like you get outside of Seattle and Portland, and uh, uh, yeah, big time, big time Nazis out there. Uh, maybe that's why they make such great Southern style food there. Um, <laughs> they really do. I'm sorry. Uh, also, um, I work in a bar that uh, a lot of punks go to, and um, they all fucking love this movie. Now, I'm not saying all these people have great taste, so I can't speak for its quality. Though justice, obviously. You enjoy it, so I'm not discounting it. But uh, this is a movie that punks love. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. They're portrayed in a fairly positive light. I'd say a shining uh, moment from this film uh, is when uh, they get to the the skinhead bar, uh, the skinhead club, and they realize that it's a skinhead club, and they all bet themselves uh, to. They're like, okay, we're gonna do this thing, and they open their set with uh, the Dead Kennedys, Nazi punks, fuck off. <laughs> That's a great fucking uh, which moment. Which is brilliant and uh, hilarious and, like, even manages to kind of put you at ease, uh, at unease even more, because you're like, what's going to happen after that? Okay, I'm going to use that as a small way to transition into a thing I really like about the movie thematically. I sort of see the whole movie, at, I'm going to try to keep this spoiler light, but I see it as a movie about small differences that make a huge difference. Like, people throughout the movie are pedantic about small things like uh early on the band is getting interviewed and the interviewer says you're from the washington dc area and they're like no we're from northern virginia and Mm -hmm. their name is misspelled on the sign so they're the aren't rights instead of the ain't rights uh at one point a nazi is pointing a gun at them and he says there's not bullets in here they're cartridges it's all this pedantic bullshit and ultimately i think what the movie's trying to get at is the difference between the why the the punk scene and the Nazi scene are intertwined like this, which they are, and what the difference is, and if that difference is negligible. And I think that's really cool and interesting, but also on the deeper philosophical level, that thing I mentioned before about how the deaths come so quick, it's how... It's also just drawing out how the difference between life and death is virtually nothing. It's a second. 
it's a it's a movie about these small differences, these things that people put huge amounts of weight on, but ultimately they're the tiniest differences in the world. The difference between five and six cart- cartridges in, in a gun and the difference between life and death. And I think that's one of the most interesting things the movie does. And I would get deeper in, but spoilers, and I want you guys to go in fresh. Oh, I want to hear those. Um, I think that's like a really great analysis. Um, I, I would maybe argue I think it's a little bit more of a film school analysis than it is like um, a parent in viewing the film as a casual viewer. I mean, yeah, I'm a film major. I mean, that was fair. a film major. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I do. <laughs> I mean, no, that's cool. Yeah, I think that's very intelligent, and like it's it's very clear that the director knows what he's doing. Was a very intelligent person. Um, oh yeah. Also, the movie's fucking gorgeous. Oh my god, like, yeah. So far, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to just complain for a second about I hate the fucking title. <laughs> it is the primary setting. I get it. Um, for a film that is this like visually sophisticated, it is a very bad title. You know, it comes. It feels like a schlocky sort of like thing you name something when you don't know what to call it, rather than being a good like thematic setup to whatever you're gonna watch. Um, I had thought that uh, go. I didn't realize going into this film that it took takes place mostly in a green room, uh, and like when. It hit me when they're in the green room for more than 10 minutes. I <laughs> was like, oh, that's dumb. I had thought there was like like some sort of like fucking mystical ass green room that like they take you to the green room and then no one knows what happens in there. And that's <laughs> <laughs> like the red room from Twin Peaks. Yeah, exactly like that. Um, you know, like <laughs> like uh... red rum in The Shining. It's yes. like, I don't know. It's like Patrick Stewart, like, is in charge of the green room. And like, that is like the center of like things. And like, you don't want to go to the green room. And it's just like the setting. It's like fucking Colin, The Shining, The Hotel. It's kind of pedantic, man. You're being a little pedantic. That's I thought the home film was about I thought the whole film was about being pedantic. A little bit, yeah, but what? <laughs> well, well See. played, well See. played. Damn As it. a pedantic asshole, I'm actually really excited to see this now. So yeah, this will be no, great. It's... I mean, it, it's. I don't think it's a legitimate criticism of the film. I think it is something that struck me very hard while watching it. But it, I don't. It is interesting um, to me that uh, both. Blue Ruin and Green Room obviously have a color in the title. Green Room is literal. It's the setting of the, um, you know, the, the movie. While Blue Ruin has no meaning whatsoever in the film. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's from a Tom Waits lyric. <laughs> uh, yes. I, uh, I was really I, excited to uh, start watching Green Room and realize that the color palette was mostly green. So, <laughs> I mean, it takes place in the Pacific Northwest, so there is a lot of green. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Um, uh, also, I I, I, um, I don't know. I really like my interest in in punk music. Uh, makes it so that I really like punk movies, uh, at least the good ones. Um, so Repo Man. So and Repo, Repo Man. Repo Man. <laughs> uh, well, Repo Man's the all time great. So uh, punk. So bad. So uh, good. I guess there's also Sid and Nancy. That's that's the critically acclaimed. SLC one, Punk. But, um, uh, what's that? I'm not familiar. Oh, it's a movie about punks. Oh, cool. Is it good? I believe so. Yeah. One way to oh, find okay. out, guys. Well, anyhow, uh, yeah, uh, uh, was someone saying something? I feel like I interrupted someone. Um, just Alex burning me a bunch. <laughs> okay. Just so pretty harsh. Important. Well, uh, guys, is there anything else we want to talk about with Green Room? Can we talk about Blue Ruin? 
No, no we cannot. That's outside <laughs> the scope of this podcast. Um, if we're gonna talk about if we're gonna talk about new spooky movies, really quick. Um, I just, I saw a pre-screening of we the new Ouija movie, and it was actually really good, guys. I then immediately, or like a couple days later, watched the um, 2014, 2013 um, movie that was by the same director and the preceding movie, but the new one was a prequel. I don't really know how to phrase that. So Ouija Prime. Yes. <laughs> um, and it was awful. Don't oh. worry. <laughs> don't watch it or re-watch it before going to see the new Ouija movie, the Dark Beginnings or whatever. Um, you will be very disappointed. Um, but if you do remember anything about it, you'll remember that there were pr- very br- brief hints about uh, where this board came from and like where these characters are coming from. And you'll remember that the set of the house is there, and that house does happen to exist still in our prequel. Um, And that was really exciting. Um, But I love the set design. I thought it was really cohesive. Um, um, It was really, I don't know, I like seeing houses that are lived in, and this house seemed lived in and uh, purposeful, um, which isn't sometimes something people try to do for um period pieces and don't always succeed but this was great our costuming was was thorough you know there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of costumes that are that seem well used even though they are dated um at this point and then the story was a lot of fun i was spooked i have two questions for you. yes shoot one one is can we get the ouija movie to sponsor us will the ouija movie buy me um like a cool jacket probably they gave us some really cool swag at the music box it's before. True. yeah i don't want like a scented candle that's what i have and i'm burning it right now. i want a cool jacket <laughs> i want a cool jacket I, I tweeted out about twice so maybe that's enough <laughs> <laughs> all right my jacket's on the way uh question two um is this uh part of the line of um a board game related movies like Battleship. Yes, I believe the original was uh, produced by Hasbro. So yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hasbro made yeah That's board right. game based movies. No, so so I thought the the acting was enjoyable. I'm the 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 child actors were not terrible, <laughs> and and that is a positive review on my end. I super swear. Um, and the. The adult characters didn't seem to be utterly stupid, um, and while the plot, you kind of have to string yourself along and say, oh, this is a movie, that's okay, is not bad. <laughs> and so I, and the effects were fun, spooky, and enough to make me nervous for, you know, the 20 minutes after the movie, which is all you can really ask for. So uh, that's that's our official uh, Saturday Night Spookorama review of uh the second ouija movie um, so thank you sabrina ouija origin of evil that's the one well guys uh thank you so much for tuning on in this has been our uh halloween special and uh hope you've all had a good time we talked about some stuff we loved uh you know we disagreed there was some beef uh, we squashed the beef. The beef has been squashed. Um, no, the beef is still active, actually. But well, anyhow, guys, <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed it. I, I sure have, and I always do. So uh, tune in next time. Uh, we're here every week. And uh, to all the folks out there in podcast land, adios. See you guys. All right. Have a good one. Bye, everyone.
Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you like the show, and we hope that you do, and you want to help us make it better, check out our Patreon page. You can find us at patreon.com slash spookorama, one word. If you become a patron, you can get access to all kinds of cool stuff that we're going to be putting out there. Uh, I hear Sabrina has a series of very, very droll photoshops. Uh, and we're also going to have stuff like bonus audio content, uh, special episodes, and uh, and all kinds of good stuff like that. If you want to help us out, help out the show, help improve the show, help get Alex a microphone, help get me a cool jacket, help get us <laughs> joined with the TCM Wine Club, uh, feel free to subscribe and uh, get access to all the cool stuff that we're going to give you. All right. Thanks a lot, guys.